Hi there, this is another episode that's brought to you in part with support from an arts and culture grant from the city of Fort Myers. We are very happy to be able to highlight all the arts and culture goodness that's coming out of our little corner of the world. Now here is the show. One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the place where musical memories form the foundation for stories that reveal our guests, personalities, and personal histories. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Mike Cosden. Mike's a Lee County native who has worked for decades in the fields of history and education. He's well known in the local music scene, having played with bands like the Anchorite Four, Table Nine, Let's Go Exploring, Radar Mile, and currently he's singing and playing guitar in Exploding Pages. A mutual friend of ours told me, I should feel free to refer to him as a guitarist and bassist extraordinaire. Mike has worked tirelessly to record and preserve local history and currently works at the Edison and Ford Winter Estates in Fort Myers as executive vice president. He also once ran a super awesome vegan ice cream shop and live music venue in Fort Myers called Cool Hand Luke's with one of Richard and my former co-workers and future guest on this podcast, Luke Martin. That's where I first started getting to know him. Mike and I have crossed paths over the years and every now and then shouted each other across the parking lot at Publix, but as far as getting into the details of life and living it, this is our first time around, so let's do this. Hey there, Mike Cousin. <laughs> hey, how are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Got a shout out to Luke Martin. Luke, we're after you. Future guest. Future guest. That's awesome. Okay, uh, let's go exploring a vegan ice cream shop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How did that come about? Was that just an excuse to have a place for bands to play? That's pretty much exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. No, yeah, Luke and I really wanted to create a venue for live music. And in traveling, you know, we had toured with our band Let's Go Exploring a little bit and seen these cool spots that other people had created in other cities. And we're really inspired to try to do something like that here in Fort Myers. Hmm. And we'd seen the awesome spots people had created in the past, like the Liquid Cafe, which I know you were intimately affiliated yes, with. Yes, yes, Um And Offbeat Records. Uh, which is also downtown where I went to my first show. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had seen that, and we said, we can try to do something like this at least. Uh, so we did. We we had the venue for about a year and a half. We got a lot of awesome shows there, served a little bit of ice cream and a little bit of coffee <laughs> and those things. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I mean, a year and a half, I would have guessed a little longer than that, but you guys really left a mark in that short period of time in terms of the music scene around here. That's awesome to hear. I mean, this place has a great music scene. It's just whether there's a venue that's kind of letting it you know, come to the surface and highlight it. That's, and now we've got like nice guys and all these other places that are kind of picking up where you guys left off. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. I got to say that that place was like a nexus uh, for, for a lot of the people like in my life in Fort Myers because I'll find out years later that somebody that I know really well but didn't know then was at a show that I was at. Yeah. Like um, We the Culprits, they did their very last show that at, at your venue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was it was wall-to-wall people and i i there are still people that i find out were there <laughs> that night <laughs> that i just never saw and i would have run across the room and high-fived them if i if i could have made it through the room <laughs> hmm. uh when was the last time you ate vegan ice cream oh all the time oh, it's in my okay. freezer right now okay okay fair <laughs> enough fair enough i thought that was just a guise of some sort um okay musical background of your childhood and it was here right you grew up here yeah i grew up here i was born in new jersey but i've lived in lee county since i was a baby so uh my whole family are musicians uh, my dad, especially, he was a professional musician in the 70s, uh, playing country music. He plays a really cool instrument called pedal steel guitar. I've seen him play it. Yeah, really neat. You use your legs and your hands to play it. It's I just can't even imagine learning to play that instrument. <laughs> it's 
So he's very talented. My sister growing up was always a really great, great musician. She played flute, piano, all kinds of things. And my mom, I don't know if she'd call herself a musician, but very musically inclined, played piano and ukulele. And I felt like sort of a black sheep growing up because all these people had this incredible musical talent. And I tried really hard to pick up guitar when I was maybe 10 or 11. Mm -hmm. It was going to date me, but I was totally derailed by the TV show uh, In Living Color. Okay. You recall? I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. My parents had, had, they were paying for these guitar lessons. The Fly Girls. The Fly Girls. They messed it up. <laughs> um, yeah. How did they mess it up? So they had set up these guitar lessons for me, and I had to practice every night for, a set of, you know, 30 minutes or something. And they just happened to say, you're going to practice every night at 730, because I wasn't doing it. And that was exactly when In Living Color was on, I think. And uh, that really derailed me. Or I'm just blaming it on that. <laughs> but it took me a couple of years later to pick it back up when I was maybe 14 or 15. Um, and really started getting exposed to seeing live shows. Mm-hmm. That live energy is what made me want to really play music. Hmm. What was being played around the house in terms of songs, you know, bands, genres? Yeah, so I was definitely exposed to uh, country through my dad. You know, old 50s and 60s classic country, but also a lot of 70s country and 80s stuff like Ricky Skaggs he listened to a lot, as well as just kind of classic rock stuff like um, Bruce Springsteen. In fact, I almost picked the song Rosalita. Um Jump a little higher. You know that song. I think so. I'm not going to sing it for you, but... You sure? <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. You are a singer. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> but, yeah, so that song, uh, I really have concrete memories of my childhood. My sister and I dancing around to it being silly when we were kids. Uh, and a lot of Motown and soul stuff. Hmm. What was the first band you identified with as an individual? Mm, man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I remember listening to some of the first tapes that I ever bought, which, again, I guess that dates me as well here. Um, on a Sony Walkman in front of the of the house. I didn't feel like I could even bring them inside because they were like dangerous music. And this was the most, you know, innocuous music ever. It was Paul Abdul. Dangerous. Right. Yeah. And Michael <laughs> Jackson, but not even dangerous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was, that was a bad joke. Well, yeah, dad that's jokes a good all, joke. all over the place. We got three of them here. So it's that's fine. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the last, but yeah. So I would listen to them uh, in our driveway. And, you know, I was just exposed to this pop music, but I felt like it was something that was mine and not my parents, you know? I think that was an experience a lot of kids had. But I would listen to it, and I would make sure there weren't any swear words in it. Um, My parents weren't really that strict, but at the time, it probably felt like they were. I didn't want them to hear that I was listening to music with swearing in it. Um, So I remember reading the lyric sheets, listening to every song, and being like, okay, Paula can come inside, Michael can come inside, we can listen to these on the tape deck, as opposed to just the Sony Walkman. But Hmm. Which ones could not come inside? (laughs) I don't think I owned any music um, before we get to the first song that I picked that I felt like my parents would have disapproved of. I just had this constant feeling like, man, my parents are not going to be happy (laughs) if I listen to something that's like countercultural or subversive somehow or has bad words in it and that kind of thing. What's the earliest musical memory you can recall if you go way back? Um, I remember every Christmas listening to uh, Mannheim Steamroller. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For whatever reason, not a musical memory I'm proud of, I guess. But uh, but I remember listening to that every Christmas from my earliest memories um, and just dancing to these silly, silly songs with my sister uh, through our house. So hmm. That's probably it. And so uh, when was your first band? So I dropped, a, you know, dropped the guitar due to In Living Color when I was 11, maybe. Picked the guitar back up when I was 14. And that was also when I started playing with people. Um, really got exposed to like punk rock music through Offbeat Records downtown. And started trying to form punk rock bands. And the first one that I ever was really serious with was with my good friend Mark Davis, 
who was on an episode of this podcast, an awesome one. He was uh, he was who happened to say that you are a, a, a an extraordinary <laughs> guitarist and bassist. I figured that. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. So what was it? Uh, yeah, so we actually met in our high school chemistry class, and we wanted to start a funk band. Um, I was like into punk rock and all this stuff at the time, and he was just a total metalhead. I mean, he wore sweatpants. He had like almost dreadlocked hair. He was really, he had this really like aggressive look to him, almost kind of intimidating. Um, and he was really into metal at that time. And for some reason, we didn't form a metal or a punk band. We were just said we're going to start a funk band, like with a horn section and everything. And it never materialized. It transformed. Into <laughs> Biting a, off more than you could it, chew. Probably, yeah, for two 15-year-olds in Cape Coral. Uh, but we ended up starting a ska band and kind of a punk ska band. We were in a couple ones, and then we were in a band called 29 Steps together, um, which was the first band that I ever you know, played shows with and did all those kinds of things. Hmm. What yeah. year would that have been? Oh, man. I was probably, it was probably 1996, maybe, gotcha. something like that. Hmm. Um, uh, Liquid Cafe, real quick before we get to your first song. Yeah. You, did you ever play any gigs there? We did, yeah. Definitely played there with probably Table 9, although I don't recall definitely. I really remember playing there with Anchorite 4, which was a later band we were in. Mm-hmm. And there's this story that I, I remember hearing from other people that we were banned from the Liquid Cafe. I think that's just a cooler version of them basically saying, you guys are playing way too loud. Would you please turn down? And we said no. And then that means we were banned. <laughs> we weren't cool enough or good enough to be banned. Yeah. I, well, I remember we, you guys were kind of, we, we, we lovingly referred to you guys as the gutter punks. Yeah. That probably is about right. Because, <laughs> you know, because you would you would draw these huge crowds and the place would just be bursting at the seams. And it was, you know, it was interesting for us slightly older folk. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, it was a good time. That place was awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah, I miss it. Um, okay, first song. Yeah, you want to just play it and then we'll talk about it? Sure. Uh, should I introduce what it is or we can just listen to Let's it? Let's just listen to it. Just blast it. That's uh, <laughs> War Pigs by Black Sabbath from their 1970 album, Paranoid. Why is it your first song? Oh, man, I almost feel like I have to apologize for picking that long of a song. Oh, no, <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't worry it's about it. great. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome to listen to on headphones, by the way. Man, if you've never listened to on headphones, recommend it. Um, so, yeah, I mentioned earlier that I felt like I had to real safely guard the music that was coming into my household. I didn't mm-hmm. want to freak out my parents. And I was just getting into my teenage years. I was probably like 12 or 13. And I remember uh, my birthday, my friend Steve Jackson brought a gift. And, you know, it was a family party, of course. I was in preteen. And he gave it to me, and as he was giving it to me, he apologized to my mom, and he said, I'm so sorry for giving him this. <laughs> and you he can... was predicting everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she said, you know, it's fine. And, and he said, you know, if he gets in trouble, you can blame me for this. And it was that album, Paranoid, um, which everything about that album is like a preteen boy's dream, I feel like. It, it's written like a comic book almost, you know, Iron Man especially. Right. But everything about it has these elements of like fantasy and science fiction and it's way over the top and epic sounding. So for a kid that was into like Lord of the Rings and comic books and hadn't really been exposed to any kind of music that was like heavy or, you know, subversive at all, this was like, I was just blown away by it. I mean, it opened my world up to a whole, a whole, you know, genre of new music and um, experiences that I hadn't been ready for. Mm -hmm. So it was a really cool experience and you know, getting ready for this podcast, thinking about songs I had an emotional connection to. It's a really hard process because you're thinking about these songs that you have a really emotional memory with, like this one. But I feel like at the same time, you're, you're trying to fight this natural urge to like, um, to curate 
what you want to portray to the public as a song that means something to you. So I feel like this podcast is a psychology experiment more than a more than a music podcast. I feel like you're seeing how people's brains work by having them pick these songs. You're on to something there, Mike Costin. <laughs> I actually just real quick, I just met uh, with a professor here on campus who did this show, and she's looking at trying to find a person doing a degree in music therapy to use our episodes as a data set to try to go down that exact road. So. That's awesome. It, it is therapeutic in a way. A lot of self-reflection is involved. Hmm. You wouldn't think it, but. So uh, was was being exposed to this the reason why once you got on to making bands that you started wanting to make like hard bands and not like soft bands? Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> soft bands. <laughs> I didn't know else how to say it, so. Yeah, it started off that way for sure. I, I got really into like this, to just being about the energy of music and the energy of live performance was really what I was all about. So, you know, Black Sabbath and being exposed to punk rock shows early on at, at Offbeat Records downtown. Um, and that whole scene was a big influence. And then I saw this live performance by uh, Mike Watt. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-mm. He was in a really early punk band called The Minutemen. You could barely even call them a punk band. They did funk and punk and all kinds of things. But all their music was super, like, tense and anxious sounding. And he said he wanted playing bass. He was a bass player. Playing bass to feel like wrestling a crocodile. That's a paraphrase, but hmm. seeing that really cool like tension of you know people really performing like right at their limits live and the the feedback you get from the audience that was what I was all about with music for you know many years that I started playing. Any of your bands ever cover any of the uh, uh, Black Sabbath? Yeah, um, let's go exploring. Covered that song actually. Um, so that was fun to learn all those guitar parts that sound so awesome panned in stereo. <laughs> on yeah, your yeah, that was a cool experience to be able to learn that. Um, that was one of the things we challenged ourselves to is to do a different cover every show and not repeat any covers. Oh, interesting. Not to become like a cover band, but just every show to cover one song that meant something to us. So, you know, we probably covered over 100 songs over the, the years we played shows, and it was very challenging and fun. Did you go all the way down the rabbit hole with all the other Black Sabbath stuff, too? I did. I mean, listening, listening-wise. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was the only song that we ever actually learned. Hmm. And and you started on guitar, but you played bass, too. When did it come along? Yeah, I think I started playing bass really because of a, a lack of bass players. Uh, I think that's the reason. You were solving a problem. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of drummers do that, too. They originally start off with something else, and they realize there are no drummers, so <laughs> they fill that hole. <laughs> like Mark Davis. Seems like he's filled a lot of drummer holes around here. Man, he <laughs> Talk about extraordinary. He plays drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, you know, accordion, horn instruments, uh, string instruments like cello. I mean... That's he's pretty amazing. Hmm. Uh, where does music fit into your life uh, in terms of your listening habits? Well, I listen to music constantly. Um, whenever I'm at a computer at work, I have a Spotify playlist going. I try to listen to things that are kind of, um, you know, there's this thing called flow state that you want to get into while you're working. So I try to listen to things like classical or jazz um, or you know electronic stuff that's kind of not um, not as vocal heavy and as active listening required. Um, so I listen to music almost constantly at work. Um, and, you know, podcasts and audiobooks, I feel like, are slowly inching music out a little bit of, of listening. You're, you're nodding your head. Is oh, that yeah. for you, too? No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, we're on I, Spotify now. So. There I, you go. I, I, you know, I mostly listen to public radio and podcasts. Yep. You know, I mean, that's just what, where it's at for me. Um, yep. uh, what about music? Like, uh, do you, you do records and stuff like that? Seems like you'd probably be a record family. Yeah, definitely. We are a vinyl family. My wife, especially, is really into um, vinyl records. Um, so we have a little collection. We actually just moved, and we haven't set up a record player yet. So we've got a little lack of vinyl in our lives right now. But, yeah, we have a small little record collection, and, you know, 
we listen to music all the time with our with our son Otis. He's eighteen months old. So he's just into the stage where he's like developing his own personal little taste yeah. that we don't control. And yeah. he likes things that maybe, you know, like Baby Shark that we would not choose to listen to 6,000 <laughs> times. So when we do our Spotify wrapped at the end of the year, it's going to be Baby Shark 10,000 hours of listening or something right. and then whatever we care about. <laughs> uh, what's going on with Exploding Pages? Yeah. So that's the current band Mark Davis and I are doing. Uh, we're recording right now and everybody is just, there's so much going on in our lives. You know, um, well, my wife and I had our baby and my sister has three kids now. My dad is in that band as well. Um, he's got a lot going on. Everybody in that band has other things going on. So really what we're focusing on is writing and recording. And we've got maybe two more songs to finish up, and then we'll have a new record. So that's kind of exciting. So probably this fall sometime. Well, then we'll have to get you on Gulf Coast Live. There you go. We'd love to. That's yeah. how we first we, – we, we planetarium show, right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. We played a show at the Calusa Nature Center and Planetarium, and a friend of ours did some kind of visual effects on the interior dome of the planetarium there. That was a really, really fun show. We'd love to play there again sometime. Um, do you have any, like, peak local live venue – you know, like where where do you like to play most in town? We play all the time at Nice Guys, and it's just such a fun place that we love. The owners there, Greg and Jovan, are awesome, and the people there are great. Um, and that place is awesome. Um, we've played also at you know Old Soul is a great brewery that does live music. And honestly, we've been focusing so much on recording that I don't know what the great new spots are for playing. All we've been doing is hammering things away in you know Mark's living room, recording and being a dad. That's right, and working hard. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, you know we're heading back to Nice Guys. We don't have a date yet or a guest, but they've given us the red carpet. They're like, come back whenever. So that's right. You did your live taping there with Mark. Yep, yep. That was a great one. Hmm. It was a lot of fun, and it was very intense to be like, you know, <laughs> yeah. in front of people. I mean, you know, instead of inside a padded room, right? I've imagined, yeah. And hmm. we're we're trying very hard to get Greg and Yovan to let us. We want them to be. The we guests. want them to be guests be. at but the venue. They're, be, they're begging off, or he's begging off on behalf of them. Oh man, we'll go far. To name them at the end of this uh, episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, it's time for song number two. All right. Well, yeah, we can talk about this one. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we won't just blast right into a seven-minute long song. <laughs> uh, so this is the first band that I really, really um, identified with personally after, you know, getting all this punk rock stuff. I started listening to uh, They Might Be Giants, also exposed to them through another good friend of mine at the time in middle school. Um, and I know this isn't three album stories because it's almost easier to pick an album that had a really uh, emotional memory for you. Do a spinoff. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I have this album, Apollo 18, which is not the album actually that the song I want to play is on. But that album, I think I listened to more than any other album I've ever owned. Um, and they were just such a cool revelation of a band to me because they they had really smart stuff. Their music wasn't aggressive, but it had it was really cool, unique, high energy kind of feel to it. Um, and you could tell that they were just super independent thinkers, and they weren't you know just putting out sort of you know commercial pop stuff. So I really, really identified with them. Um, and when I started writing songs, looking back, I think they were the band that influenced me more than any other band. Feeling like you could incorporate elements of anything from like science to, you know, they would incorporate Greek mythology and just all kinds of cool little tidbits. They would just create this really neat pastiche of, I don't, I don't even know what you would call it. Pastiche. Pop. Pastiche. I like that word. <laughs> of just cool indie pop music. So, Yeah. Their, uh, their music just really res- resonated with me. And in looking back, I think the first song that I ever heard from them was um, Birdhouse in Your Soul. So we can play that one. All right. This is Birdhouse in Your Soul and the intro to theme from Flood. Thank you. Uh, they Might Be Giants, 1990 album, 
flood. And I haven't listened to that in a long time. Yeah? Uh, you yeah. like them, Maybe Giants? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't ever super into them, but I always appreciated them. And the way you described them is just, is just dead on. That's awesome. Yeah. What's going on musically in that song? Is there like key changes going on or is that just trick of the year? Yeah, there's key changes and there's a lot of like counterpoint melodies and then bringing melodies back from earlier in the song. And they're tricky songwriters. Hmm. Yeah. What's it make you uh, think when you listen back to it now through this lens? So the thing it really reminds me of um, and the reason, one of the reasons I picked it is that it reminds me of listening to a record in your bedroom um, alone and just appreciating it that way, which is a way people listen to music, especially when you're a teenager. I feel like there's a lot of that, like solitary listening, or maybe you're listening on headphones while you're on a bus or something. But when you're an adult, you don't get that, that solitary listening experience as much. I feel like, I don't know, maybe other people do, but for me, I'm around other people so much of my day. It's either like just inactive listening or listening to music that I know other people I'm around are going to appreciate. So it reminds me of uh, just having that feeling of having your musical tastes molded. You know what I mean? Um, and I know it made a big impact on me musically. But the other thing, the reason I other really picked it is that now it has a totally new meaning to me, being a dad, um, because my son really likes this song, which is a really cool feeling. Like yeah. somehow we played him this song. It came on randomly, I think. It was actually the video that came on. We were watching things on YouTube, and this video was on. I said, oh, show him this, and he loved it. So it was just really cool to see that somehow some part of my taste has been passed on to him, whether genetically or through osmosis or something, that he really likes, you know, bopping along to the song, too. It's really cool. You know, uh, you mentioned laying there or, you know, listening to the to, to the record or the whole album. Do you think that we're we're losing something with our, you know, disjointed playlists and not having albums? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, know. we have them, but I don't know how many people take the time to, you know, listen to them like that. And I don't know how seriously bands take albums anymore. I mean, obviously everyone is still doing mostly albums, but I mean, I I know Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins said he thought, you know, no one would be releasing albums eventually. Everyone's just going to go to releasing singles and it's going to ruin the music industry. Um, And that hasn't happened. But I don't know if it's as serious an experience now or I've just passed that time in my life where albums can make that big of an impact on me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad, but it's rare as you get older, I feel like anyway to have music affect you in the same ways it did when you were younger, especially when you were a teenager. Um, as you're putting together the, uh, the new album, um, are you thinking about it in terms of an album? Or is it just, a, uh, we've finally got enough songs, let's put out an album? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely the former, um, especially for me. I feel like the only way I can write, um, really, for this band anyway, is to write songs that feel like they're all part of a group. So I almost pick some central themes and ideas that I know are going to, you know, be a part of the album. But I think it's, again, because I grew up in a time where albums were it. You know, it wasn't a streaming culture. It wasn't so much of a single culture. It was about listening to a whole album in one sitting. So that's just something that, you know, made its mark on me, I guess. Care to give us a keyword or two which might be central <laughs> to your new album in terms of thematic? Oh, man, that is a, a hard question to answer. Um I'll tell you, one of the things that inspired some of the ideas for the album was I was traveling with my my wife, Abby, and her family um, through, um, geez, I'm trying to think. I guess it was in, um, man, outside of Pittsburgh somewhere. And we were in this old, like, used to be a coal town. Now it's totally deserted. Um, And I overheard someone say in this bar uh, that we had stopped in, it was totally deserted, nobody there, just said to, like, the bartender um, that they'd been working steady midnight. That was this expression that they have. Have you heard this expression before? 
I don't think I have. I had never heard Steady Midnight before. And it's something about this expression was really evocative, and it got me thinking about what exactly that would mean and the way we talk about night when we think about, um, you know, feelings and emotions and how it represents something to us that's so specific. So anyway, that's kind of been a theme of a lot of the songs. Um, they have this this dark kind of nighttime theme to them, whether, you know, it's... it's uh, over the top sort of actually mentioning that in the lyrics or it's just kind of the the vibe of the song. Hmm. Little tip into the future. There. I can't <laughs> wait to hear the album. Um, you know, um, my uh, They Might Be Giants, uh, it was Moxie Fruvis, the Canadian right. band. And there's if there was ever a band that people compared Moxie Fruvis to, it was They Might Be Giants. Sure. So. I remember hearing Moxie Fruvis because someone said they – they sound like they might be giants. You should check them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and then that was the first music that I connected to my daughter with when she was little tiny too. So oh, that's awesome. We're like mics together That's here. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned that you listen to music while you're at work. Um, how did you get into history? What is that like what you went to college for? Yeah, well, I actually studied history here at NFGCU. Okay. Um, so it's nice to be back at my, my alma mater here. It's Go. a little different now. It's a lot different. Yeah. yeah. In fact – I can share, I guess, that I got lost trying to actually get, get yeah, here. Yeah, we had to meet you halfway across campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the campus is so different. Yeah, but I studied history here. Um, you know, like everybody, I think, or most people, when I was entering college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I studied art. That was what I was really interested in. In fact, growing up, um, everyone in my family was really into music. And when I felt like it wasn't really, music wasn't going to be the thing for me, I was really into art. That was my thing. Um, I was really into illustration and different things and comic books. Like making art or just perceiving and learning about art? Making art at the time. Did not care about the perception (laughs) when I was was young. But it's funny you say that because then I, I, you know, when I started actually taking art classes and studio art and talking to other people that wanted to get into the field and they're talking about, you know, the the sacrifices they're going to make in their lives and how few people actually can commercially make art for a living. I said, huh, maybe this isn't for me. And I started studying art history, which I loved. And again, I had this revelation after studying that for a year or so. What am I going to do with, with my art history degree? No offense, art history majors out there. <laughs> so, and professional art historians. Yes, I'm just about all everyone. All 11 and of them. artists. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, we can edit that part out, right? Nope. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so somehow I went from art to art history to history, and I loved it. Um, particularly American history, like colonial era into the Industrial Revolution. I don't know why. I really connected with it. Um, So when I got a chance, I graduated. I got a degree after that in library science. Always loved being in libraries, museums, um, and I knew that that's a place that I wanted to work. So when I got a chance to work at a site interpreting history at Edison Ford Winter Estates, I, I jumped at it. And I was a tour guide there and then went on to work in several other positions and have worked my way up to the position I'm in now. What's it like to be around all that, like, real history? I mean, there's, like, real history there. Like, the the world in some ways is what it is because of stuff that was being thought up there. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's awesome. I mean, it's great to be around, you know, the historic houses and all the inventions and the things you know were worked on, you know, you know Edison stood right where you're standing. That's a cool feeling. It's also just a really big responsibility, I feel like. You have this responsibility that you have to accurately interpret it, and that's not – static you know it's always changing how we interpret and think about history it's just like to relate it back directly to this podcast it's like how we think about music it's never we're never going to be thinking about an artist or a song the same way 10 years from now that we are now 
So I feel like that's the challenge and the responsibility, but it's also one of my favorite things about the job is that it's constantly evolving and changing and you're improving things. And it's just a really nice place right there off of Gregor, you know. It's great view of the river. Great view of the river, <laughs> like lots of great trees and all the flora and the, yeah. I agree completely. Uh, are you a dancer? No. Why? <laughs> I feel ambushed by this question. I mean, my wife is a dancer. She is an awesome dancer and fearless and really into like interpretive dance and things like that. Um, viewing it, not necessarily participating in it so much. So I'm exposed to dance all the time and we expose our son to dance all the time. But um, I just, some, something about growing up, I never had the sensibility that I could dance or should dance. You know what I mean? Not that it was discouraged. I just wasn't one of those people that would, you know, just start dancing like nobody was watching. But that being said, we, my wife and I certainly danced at our wedding and, you know, I'll, I'll dance when it's obligatory. Right. Well, what about having the kid around? Is that because that kind of I found oh. that that has opened up some doors for me in terms of expression in artsy ways. In a hundred percent, dance with him whenever I get the chance. I mean, it's yeah, you'll do things as a dad, as you know, probably that um, you would never do in any other situation or scenario. <laughs> so we dance around all the time. Um, and I've I mentioned earlier, I have such great music of dancing to silly music when I was a kid, and I want him to have that that same memory. So. I hope he's more fearless than I am when he grows up. You hear that, kid? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to play this in 18 years. Uh, what about karaoke? Do you have that same shyness? Yeah, I was just listening to the episode you did with Claire from the Free Coasters. Man, and she had such great answers to these questions. A lot of pressure there. Um, but she had a great answer about karaoke, and it makes sense that she's into it. But I was never into karaoke. Yeah, probably the same shyness. The last karaoke song I did was Rock Lobster by the B-52s. Oh, okay, okay. And I think we almost got kicked out. I did it with several other people, including Seth Ford. Okay. Who I think is, is upcoming on an episode Yeah, he's here. in the can, as we say. Yeah. So we did that song and embarrassed ourselves, and we're totally just being silly, and I'm pretty sure they, they kicked us out or asked us to leave afterwards, if I remember because correctly. Because you karaoke your way out of a bar? <laughs> yeah, I think that's accurate. It is, uh, did I just hear something? I did. I thought you guys were going to play Rock Lobster, and I was like, man, <laughs> he's on top of this. <laughs> he is on top of this. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? Yeah, this is not a good song to karaoke to, by the way. Why? Because you have to do a lot of the Watusi or whatever dance you're going to do during these parts, you know. Pretend swimming, whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a fun one. Uh, um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we were talking about songs or stories or something like that. Is there a TV theme song? Uh, that you know by heart? Come on, let's do this. Oh, my gosh. Probably. Um, maybe in Living Color. But I'm not going to sing it right now. Oh, in, oh how did that oh, go? Oh, I can do the... Do can, what you yeah. want to do in Living Color. color. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that show, but I don't remember the theme song. But I'm sure if we heard it, it would probably come back to me. <laughs> Any other ones? Oh, there are probably a ton. I watched a lot of TV as a kid, as a lot of you know suburban American teenagers did growing up in the 80s. So probably a lot of you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The X-Men cartoon. A lot of those cartoons, I'm sure if I heard it right now, I could sing every word to it. 90s instrumental. Was a, I was, I was going to say, since you mentioned 90s cartoons again, that my They Might Be Giants stuff is all of those Looney Tunes. Yeah, the Tiny like, Tunes thing. Oh, Tiny Tunes, yeah. They did like Triangle Man or yep. Particle Man, I guess. Um, and they did... Um, Constantinople. Constantinople. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. And that, that was my step in. I thought those songs were for that cartoon show. Yeah. And then I found out there's a band that plays these songs for that's, those for are real. actual yeah. songs. Those are actual songs that they play in front of people. Well, you know, they're still doing that today. I mean, they did the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse theme song. 
for the TV show. Really? And they just put out. Yeah, they put out an album that was, what was it? It was. Uh, Science is Real. Yeah, that's what it was. Which my son Otis has listened to a lot. I don't know if it's made an impact on him, but um, great album about kids understanding what science is. And it's just, it's awesome. Hmm. What about Broadway musicals? Yeah, I never was into them growing up. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if we weren't really exposed to them that much as kids, but um, through my wife, we've we've I've been exposed quite a bit. Um, and we went and saw Hamilton, and we've seen you know Book of Mormon and some other fun things. I guess more I'm into more of the fun stuff. Like Book of Mormon is a really fun one. Um, so did now you, I appreciate them. Did you see that here in Fort Myers when they came to Barbara Beebe? Yes, I I saw it during that run too, and it was interesting the um, the response from the crowd. I felt like there was a walkout happening. Yeah, because I I feel like there's probably about 25% of the crowd that just comes there because they have season tickets Mm -hmm. and they got sprung upon. (laughs) (laughs) And that's an incredibly vulgar and, I don't know, sacrilegious, I guess is a good word for it. Um, But it's so well written. Um, Yeah, that's a fun one. Are there any modern mainstream bands, like super mainstream bands that you're a fan of? Oh, man. I feel like I should have prepared better for this question. Um, I listen to the band Air all the time. Um, if you're familiar with Air? Air? Yeah. I guess they're not super mainstream. More mainstream. Yeah, Richard's <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> um, What's okay. the most popular on the radio song? <laughs> let, me throw, let me throw this out. I love um, Daft Punk and um, even their recent stuff, but I've been listening back at work. I was mentioning wanting to have this like kind of, not background music, but music that you can inactively listen to and still get something out of. I just want everybody to know that you just named two different French duos. <laughs> Air is a French band composed of two people and Daft Punk. That's Nothing crazy. I never thought like about French that. Duos. <laughs> I think Daft Punk qualify as mainstream. Yeah, point. they won. They yeah, swept yeah, the yeah. Grammys. They're yeah. But they have these old DJ sets they did in the 90s and mm-hmm. early 2000s that are just incredible to listen to. You can find them for free online, and they make great music to listen to while you're working and doing whatever on a computer. Yeah, they're good. devastatingly good. <laughs> yeah, I agree. They're they're awesome. Hmm. Uh, song three? Yeah. All right, so let's talk about it. Um, this was a band that I hated. Every time I heard them, there was something about them that sounded like lazy and sloppy, and I didn't I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I thought I, thought I understood it, but... And they're definitely in this indie rock category, too. Um, but this band, Yola Tango, um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, Mike. You... Uh, you know, I know the name, but I haven't really ever listened to them, so I'm about to. Yeah, so they were, like, in this college rock, indie rock vein, with kind of like with They Might Be Giants. But they have a super kind of minimalistic, simplistic approach to music sometimes, and they do a, a lot of cover songs. And the song that I want to pick, which is called You Can Have It All, I listened to it for uh, probably 15 years without realizing it was a cover song. It's a cover of the 70s, I think it's 70s, soul, almost like a disco feeling song. And when you hear the song, you'll be amazed at how much they changed it. They stripped it down. They took this song with very, very few lyrics and just made it so cool and direct. And the first time I heard it, I just thought it was just mind-blowing. But the reason it has a strong association for me is because I put it on a mix CD for my then-girlfriend, my now-wife, Abby, and, you know, you make a mix for someone and you don't know really what impact it has. I mean, usually they'll say, yeah, I listened to it. Or I liked it. You don't get, you know, line by line feedback on every song that you put on a mix. Generally. Yeah, yeah. But she told me just within the past year that this song had become a favorite of hers based on that mix. And I realized that the lyrics on it, I mean, obviously it had this romantic, um, you know, kind of feeling to it, which is why, why I put it on this mix for mm-hmm. this, this girl that I had a crush on. But... I just realized it had this cool kind of relevance in our relationship now that uh, I'm going to think of every time I hear this song. Hmm. So the woo worked. The woo worked, I guess. Yeah. 
This is uh, You Can Have It All by Yola Tango from their 2000 album, And Then Nothing Turned Itself Inside Out. You're going to be doing the bum 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 for days now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know who that kind of reminded me of? It was Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, Does that I make sense? Like that. Them, them with a little more drums. Yeah, because they've got that like unaffected, like just almost like bland approach. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, yeah. there. It's unpretentious. There's not a ton of like emotion, emoting in the voice. Something I really like about how simple it is. What's it make you feel when you listen to it? I mean, now it reminds me of, of Abby. It reminds me of my wife. Um, but I think it's just such a simple love song and it's simple. It's unpretentious. Um, it's really straightforward. So it, it gives me like this cool, like a feeling of immediacy and just simplicity, simplicity. And I don't know. How long uh, between giving her that and wedding? <laughs> <laughs> we dated for almost a decade before we got married. Oh, okay. And you know, mix CDs are usually pretty early in the, uh, oh, yeah. in dating. So it might have been almost a decade. Can you imagine, like, had you known when you were burning that disc <laughs> that it would mean that much someday? Isn't that amazing how memory and music and all this stuff ties together? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, uh, what else was on the disc? Anything? Oh, my gosh. I'm sure it had, like, 71 more minutes of music because I was all about maxing out that 74-minute max that right. you could put on a CDR. Um. That's a that's a medium of music for the kids that are out there listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a thing you can carry around. Uh, Richard, uh, I think he's got the original version of this. Oh, to, cool! To, yeah, to, to look, give us some contrast. Almost like a Bee Gees vibe to it. Oh yeah! <laughs> the bass is actually spectacular in this original. Album. Yeah, the bass line. <laughs> Good raw material for a cover. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's so cool that you listened to it for all that time and then realized suddenly it was a cover. I've had a couple of those that have come across across the years. Um, do you have a favorite band of all time? Ooh, I don't know. Um, I love Built to Spill. They might be giants. Um, that's such a hard question, man. It changes all the time, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I'll go with one of those. They seem like safe answers. Um, what about albums that are like, you got to listen to them all? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was thinking about songs for this, I really wanted to pick certain songs because they were on albums that meant a lot to me. Like um, I had well, the first hip hop album I ever had was Blowout Comb by Diggable Planets. I don't know if you listen to that band, but 90s hip hop stuff, really good. Um, and when I got that, it was a tape. When I got that tape, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. I just hadn't been exposed to that much hip hop. You know, I'd maybe just been exposed to Black Sabbath and heavy stuff like that and punk rock. So that was like another like revelation that there was this another kind of way to have this you know subversive music that was like questioning authority and there were issues of lots of issues of race and things that were on it that were really well addressed and it was just such an awesome tape um so that was one that made a big impact on me um could not find a song on it today that i felt like was a good representation and i could right. really talk a lot about but yeah there's lots of albums like that i think um you know keep it like a secret from built to spill i've listened to that album so many times it's such a such a great great record hmm. uh is there a fourth song that had to get cut or was it amorphous it was amorphous um man i wish i had thought of that be, thought about that question because there were a lot of songs that i did cut from the list and i i'm blanking on them right now um if you had to pick one album to listen to 
from now on, which one would it be? Ouch. Um, man, I think I would go for something that is really um, – all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a, a totally non-pop music-oriented answer. Um, there's this classical song called The Moldau. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. By Smetana, I think is their composer. It's like this really – it's a, like an epic tone poem. Um, and it, it's supposed to trace the flow of this river. Um, so it goes through all the different curves and things, and then it goes by a town, and they incorporate some music that's you know supposed to represent the city, and then it has like folk music that's supposed to represent the rural areas. It is such an amazing song, and every time I listen to it, I hear new things. And I think if I had to listen to something from now till whenever, just being very practical, there you go. Um, I couldn't do something with lyrics. You know, it would need to be something that could be really open to interpretation and give you a different feeling when you listen to that's it. That's a great answer. Very, prac- very practical answer. <laughs> yeah, very, but, yeah, but I mean, that's like, you know, you're, you're, real, you, you're really talking about practicality. That's right. Yeah. It's also 13 minutes long, so. You get a lot of bang for your buck. A lot of bang for your buck. If you could have a dream gig with playing with somebody, oh, man. who would it be? In, Past, in, president, yeah. And where? Future. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think one band that I haven't mentioned at all that had such a big impact on me that if I could play with any band, I would want to play with them is a punk rock, punk ska band called Operation Ivy um, that were just around for a little blip, uh, I guess, in the 80s. And they had such a huge impact on me wanting to play music live because they had this incredible live energy I've seen from videos and from hearing their music. It would just be so cool to get to play with them. Um, yeah, that's the first band that comes to mind. It's right. a hard question. What would a uh, 14-year-old Mike Costin think of uh, today's you? <laughs> I think he would think I've gone pretty soft. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you would pick a classical song for the. You <laughs> are a historian. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not to say I wasn't into those things. I appreciated classical music. I loved history. I loved art at that time. I don't know what he would think. I mean, that's such a hard thing to say. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you deviated from the course that you thought your life had gone when you were fourteen? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I hope everybody does. I mean. Yeah, but you've played a bunch of bands. He'd probably appreciate that. That's true. I think he would thought he would think that part is pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when can we expect that new album? I think it'll be out this fall. Okay. Yeah. When is this episode going to air? Do we know that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably be out a little bit after. I don't know. Oh, no. I mean, within the next four or five weeks, I would think. Cool. Okay, so, then. So probably not by then. Or we can even hold it and then release it in conjunction if you want. Oh, you know, and that's we, okay. We've got that uh, option. Yeah, well, you can you can look us up online. If you just Google Exploding Pages, we will appear and uh, find more information there. But I would predict this fall, a couple months away. All right. Now it's time to recommend three people for us to pursue. This is, I think, even harder than picking the three songs. <laughs> yeah. This is, we, we've only been doing this for a while now. This was Richard's idea, but it's already bared fruit. So Yeah. Well, I've heard that you've already picked one of the people that I'd like to pick, which is Luke Martin. So, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Can I we just, mentioned that earlier. Can I just mention? Hi, Luke. Luke, Hi, Luke. you should do this. Come back. Fly, fly out here just for this if you have to. We'll put you in a studio and ISD in it, Luke. We've, <laughs> yeah. got, a, we've got a budget now. We've got a grant. But he's already, <laughs> he's already been picked, so let me just not use that as one of my picks okay. if I can. Uh, I want to pick, and I was going to pick Seth Ford, too, and I, he's in the can already. He's in the can already. What an awesome storyteller. I can't wait to listen to that. Uh, so I'm going to pick uh, James Diverter. He is an awesome local musician. He just he's done music under a bunch of different names. John Wayne Gretzky. He does hip hop. That's indie. wait, that's a great be- and his actual name, name is John. Diverter. Uh, you know, I don't even know if that's well, his real like name. John fake. Wayne Gretzky. Ever, ever is since a I've known really him, that's what he's gone good, by. Like, oh, that's clever. <laughs> that's his hip hop, you know, persona. It's really good. 
Uh, he just released an album of like electronic indie music, which is called Edison Arcade. Anyway, he would be great to do this podcast. So he's my first pick. That's one. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nevin Marshall, um, who was in a band that just had a huge influence on me locally called Jayuna. They're a really heavy band. I know from just you know getting to know him as a friend that he's interested in all different kinds of music, um, and I think he'd be really interesting to, to interview as well. All right. I'd love to hear him do it. Oh, I got to pick one more. Huh. Uh, I will go with Doug Davison. All right. Uh, Seth Ford's bandmate in the Strip Club Moms, who are another band that I just loved. I had a tape of theirs called Mulch that I wore out because I listened to it too much, and I had to get another copy of it. Um, he would be a great person. He's kind of a character. He's got this awesome, awesome personality. I know he'd be good to answer these questions. And he and I go back to sixth grade. I heard that. You're <laughs> telling me about the dum-dums. The dum-dums in his backpack, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> um, okay, this is it. Uh, any songs you'll always avoid for whatever reason? Oh, man. Uh, probably, after this point in my life, Baby Shark. Ah. I'm never going to listen to that song again. <laughs> Except when you get home tonight. Probably, yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, Mike, because you and I are not super far off in age. Um, did you, there was a different version of that song when I was Ooh. like like 10 to 12. There was like, it was like a camp song. It was very similar, but it was different cadence. Whoa, I don't know that. No. Okay, Can I'm you just, sing I'm it? Just, um, the problem is this other one's infested my brain yeah. right now. Um, it, it went. Um, I don't even know the real baby one. shark. Do 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 baby shark. Do oh do, wow, it's like do, a funkier do, version. Bomb shark. Do 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 bomb shark. Yeah. So it was a, it was like a like a halftime almost to the one or something. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to. I've been trying to commiserate with people who are like, <laughs> how did this thing lay dormant for twenty five years and all oh, of a man. sudden. It's like the most popular. It's it's a top Spotify. It's the top of it, YouTube. Like and okay. I've never even heard of it. I've been nodding my head at you like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh well, then I have to play. We'll it. Play it for you afterwards. Yeah, I'll play it after. I'm not going to subject Mike to it. <laughs> uh, okay, Mike Costin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege. It's a great podcast. I appreciate the opportunity. We make this show in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Mike Canary is the co-creator and host. Richard Chinqui is the co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer. Chris Duffus is our executive producer, and our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Our parting tune this week comes from Luke in San Diego. So the song I chose is Let the Swamps Be the Swamps on the Let's Go Exploring album Do Work, where I played bass and Mark... Uh, was drummer and singer and Mike was also the guitarist and singer and Andrew was the other guitarist and I don't know it's a really fun song a lot of people really get into it but for me really the entire album is something that brings back a lot of memories for me it's funny when you make music I think it's not really particular one song it's about like the whole album that brings and creates all these memories so I have memories of like walking around with Mark and Andrew, uh, really late night after band practices, just kind of walking the neighborhood and stuff. And one for me is, uh, another one for me is uh, Mike. We would always travel to uh, band practice together from Fort Myers into Cape Coral. And we would always stop at like Taco Poncho and grab some food before, uh, before going to practice. And if you're ever in the car with Mike, you'll never listen to a song for more than like 45 seconds before he keeps changing it to the next one. So that's always a funny thing to me. It's just like, next song. And next song, and next song. I think he just does out of habit or something. It was cracking me up. Oh,
there's a few lyrics in there that just kind of hit me a little bit, which is a testament to Mike's writing, honestly. Um, lyric writing and and everyone's uh, music ability. So, yep, that's my song. Let the swamps be the swamps. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Hi, and welcome to the Obsolete Music Hour. I'm Dick Spotswood. This is WAMU's Bluegrass Country.